Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Thank you guys so much for listening. I really do appreciate it. Podcast is brought to you by Sandstone Cycles. It is a small bicycle repair shop operated right out of my house. Specialized in services, wheel trimming, brake bleeds, derailleur adjustments, the basic stuff. Recently, I've had a, quite a bit of like new assemblies come in. People buying direct-to-consumer brands like Canyon and Diamondback and YT. Um, awesome brands. You can get bikes affordable online. The problem I've seen is a couple of people who brought me bikes have not been happy with like the size they ordered or maybe the component package. So what I'm kind of advertising now is that um, I offer like an online consulting where I'll help people get on the right size and make sure it gets like built properly, set it up tubeless and just ready for them to ride. So if you're looking at direct consumer brands, uh, Fazari, uh, Common Cell, stuff like that, give me a call. Or just find us on Google, Sandstone Cycles, uh, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Try to help you um, get on the right bike. I know ordering stuff online can be kind of tricky, especially if you're not super, um, I don't know, maybe you're just beginning, you're not really in touch with like sizes and just, uh, I don't know, head to angles and stuff like that. So I'll try to help you get on the right bike and uh, yeah, that'll be awesome. Also, mobile repairs, I'll pick up your bike for you bring it to my shop or if it's small enough repair i'll repair it on site and i'll deliver it back to you so take advantage of that and i really would appreciate it that's what i'm doing full-time right now and i'm really enjoying it so hopefully i get to do it a lot longer okay get into the podcast in this episode i sit down with anthony diaz from diaz suspension design in durango colorado super cool dude he's definitely a problem solver i love the conversation i learned a lot he showed me a lot we Talked a little bit kind of how he got into mountain biking and uh, just kind of what he's doing today, how suspension, uh, Dia suspension design came about. Um, and then he just gives tips on setting up bikes and stuff like that or setting up suspension uh, on your on your mountain bike. Um, but we really dig into his newest product called the Runt. It's, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. He, uh, I would describe it, but I'll just let him describe it in the podcast. He's a really good job. All I know is once I get on my new bike, I am definitely putting this in the fork because it solves a very big problem and you see a lot of people in the industry kind of replicate the same thing now so uh yeah definitely has a cool product and i'm stoked to try it out oh one more thing before i forget about 45 minutes into the interview uh anthony talks about the importance of getting your uh, rebound tuned and um, kind of breaks down how the mid valve works and how rebound can affect compression so, uh, obviously it's kind of hard to get the visual whenever you guys are listening to this. So on our Facebook page, I uploaded uh, about a little two minute video and he breaks it down in that video. So super cool. Highly recommend you guys go check that out. I thought it was neat and, uh, I didn't know anything about it. So, okay. And, uh, if you need to contact Diaz, he leaves his information at the end, but also go to the show notes. It's all there. If you guys have any questions for me, comments, concerns, anything, you can email sandstonecycles at gmail.com. Have ideas for the podcast, people you'd like me to interview, questions you'd like me to try to answer. I'll be more than happy to. And um, yeah, with that, we'll get right into it. I know it's been cold, but you guys keep riding your bikes and I'll talk to you later.
But we'll uh, we'll definitely dig into that. We'll dig into that later on the into this. Um, yeah, that might be hard hard to explain without pictures, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think it's so sick though. Um, it's definitely unique. But let's start with the. Uh, let's just start with you, man. Start with mountain biking. How how you've been doing this for a while? I know you're crazy talented on a bike. <laughs> man, so had always you from Durango? Um, that's a that's a long loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> you can make it as brief as you want, man. Don't. We'll try to run through it really quick. Um, <laughs> mountain biking. Um, let's see, I grew up in Houston. Started racing cross country down there. I think my first cross country race when I was thirteen. Oh, it was like ninety seven. Yeah. So. Um, race cross country down there was pretty successful as like a junior x rider down there i was you know winning races on the podium quite a bit and uh running cross country in high school and track and i think when i got out of high school i just realized that training for endurance wasn't that much fun spending (laughs) that many hours on a bike training and uh i realized that i was doing it mainly just for the fun of the downhill stuff so perfect saved up money bought a downhill bike um saved up more money to just go to some nationals go to some norbas <laughs> this you're still in houston yeah trying to race downhill yep i, I can't imagine that's good good mixture as far as uh you know the, uh, geography su- surprisingly like our trails are actually pretty technical oh, believe it or not like as technical as some of our most technical trails here it's probably even more technical than some of the stuff in Durango our stuff in Durango is you know pretty pretty buffed out and easy but um of course we didn't have the elevation but uh, Memorial Park um, pretty much downtown Houston you know just kind of like winds around up and down like the banks of the bayou lots of roots and uh-huh. you know it's actually you know pretty Dude. technical and fun that's crazy so learned a lot of bike handling there for sh- there for sure <clears throat> just had to travel a ways to hit the races or yeah was there some local stuff? yeah there was like there was like a downhill race in texas that was like i don't know it was maybe like a minute and a half long like downhill <laughs> race and you really you could do it on you know a cross-country bike you know pretty easily and do pretty good um oh, funny. yeah so so yeah i saved up money and the first national i went to was at big bear Dude. and it was pretty eye-opening because I had never even seen a chairlift before in my life. I didn't really know. Like, <laughs> I'm like looking at the lifty, like, uh, what do I do? Okay, hand you the bike and I'd sit on the chair. <laughs> That's so funny. Um, Did you have a full downhill bike? Yeah, I had a full downhill bike. And, you know, probably like every, I don't know, downhill racer that comes from where it's flat, I had super light tires on it, which of course flatted like within the first run. Oh, dude. <laughs> so I, I bought some some tires there actually from tom neb in town who worked for like michelin giant at the time yeah i was lucky enough to be able to meet him and buy some tires off him back then Uh, but yeah i think i ended up in the top 10 for first expert downhill race just had that uh that fitness huh built up maybe or no it was it was was the handling from you know the technical trails you know um yeah not so much the fitness it was you know pretty good course it wasn't a lot of pedaling from what i remember yeah so yeah that was you know kind of what got me started in the downhill that's it man how'd you uh, how'd you get out to durango from houston so that actual race at the time they like had these downhill camps 
in Durango and you had to like qualify for them through like USA Cycling or whatever. So they were like, oh, congrats, you qualified for a downhill camp in Durango. <laughs> and, you know, at the time, I think I had saved up money to go to like maybe three Norbas or something. And I was like, well, if I go, if I go to a downhill camp, I'll probably have more seat time on the bike and more practice. I'll probably learn a lot more going from going to a downhill camp versus another downhill race. So yeah. I came here and met, you know, Hagen who runs the team and Elko who coaches for there and uh, Chad Cheney yeah. who coaches for him too. And they're like, hey, you should, you know, you should come to school up here and race downhill <laughs> for us. So I said, all right. You know, it was Durango. It was awesome. Um, and then especially coming from Houston, I was pretty blown away that people didn't even lock their doors here. Dude, uh, um, the more I'm doing these podcasts, the more I'm talking to people, the more badass I'm just blown away by this community. Because that's <laughs> I, I talked to Chad a while back, and I got to meet them people you were just talking about. And going into Fort Lewis compound was just was like, holy shit, this place is... It's yeah so it's a way bigger program than i ever thought it was so i mean you know me coming from houston you know i was <laughs> completely blown away as well i was just like holy shit this place is cool yeah um yeah it was just it was amazing i couldn't believe like you know the riding in town i think one of the first runs we did was halfland in the camp and i just remember like calling my friends being like oh my god we rode downhill for like 10 miles it was like forever <laughs> Dude. <laughs> it was just the coolest thing ever. Oh, and then at the time... How, how long ago was that? So ha- oh, I, man, that's Havlin's like, been there for a while, huh? Havlin's yeah, been. that's got to be like... I want to say like 2005-ish. Dang. Uh, yeah. Dude, that's a sick trail. Um, so yeah, the other thing that was super cool that I got to be lucky to ride a little bit then and then when I moved here was um, the downhill trails at Silverton. Oh, never been... Yeah. I don't know anything about them. Dude, that stuff was steep. So yeah, that was that was that was pretty cool. That was definitely So you're being introduced to all this new stuff and you're just oh, yeah. getting hooked. All of it was just, you know, it was just blowing my mind. Yeah. Um, one of the other ads we did was we shuttled and rode um, the Norba course at Perg. Oh, and man. you know, that was awesome. So yeah. Just And it's cool to see that mountain opening up now huh finally oh for sure it seems like it is lately this last year it's just been they're yeah. kind of starting to develop it now is that what yeah doing? yeah it's pretty exciting because yeah it sounds like you know the old world cup downhill course is on the list to be revived yeah. and i mean that was probably one of the best courses here in the u.s you know it had a, it had a little bit of everything in it it was a good time you had so. to get your downhill bike again man oh, i still got one you still got it <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. Sick. Um, so then, did you jump on some race series, or did you go to college? And did you do? Um, I kind of, I kind of joke, and I tell people that I went to school for downhill racing because that was <laughs> about the only thing I was good at in school. <laughs> nothing wrong with that, dude. Nothing wrong so, with that. Yeah, I came up. You know, I moved here the next summer, and you know, went to school at the fort for downhill racing. That was like the only thing I really cared about. You know, <laughs> made pretty horrible grades, and eventually dropped out after two years, but. I don't know. I made it to nationals. I think I, I think I was fifth at the last nationals I went to. So, you know, pretty good, pretty good success there. Uh, and how does nationals work? So I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm still kind of 
not too good. The Nationals is that a college thing or yeah. just a, is it any age like you can collegiate you know, collegiate nationals collegiate nationals yeah collegiate okay. nationals so it's just kind racing? of yeah okay yeah which was you know pretty competitive um, and you ended up what in it I think I was ended up fifth the fifth? last year that yeah. I was there so yeah and then you know on on the side you know I was going to like you know Mountain States Cup races you know around the area. And just kind of they don't have those no more, huh? They don't. No, that's kind of gone away. I remember Chad Um, mentioning something about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool series because you know back in the day it was you know downhill racing, four cross or slalom, and cross country racing all at the same venue. So it was cool to go to them and you'd see you know everybody there from town because it was all the cross country racers there too. You know, guys. Yeah, yeah, it was it was super cool. That's sick. So yeah, like you know while I was going to school, I was kind of like working up. Um, you know my ranks and like the I guess national and uh, mountain states cup racing too I think did a season as expert and bumped up to semi pro and did a season there and then bumped up to pro and you know it was decent results it was pretty good Mm. did you ever um, any UCI stuff any world cup stuff no you know I think I think I want to say like my one of my better results was maybe like a 15th in Deer Valley and, nice. and pro men and it was I remember it being a pretty stacked race like I think Gwen was there and you know for whatever reason maybe they had UCI points there or something but there was they a lot all, of, there was yeah. a lot of fast guys there for sure so I think that was like I think that was probably one of the better results even but though I had so, better like you know maybe like a top five there was just way better competition there yeah. so. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's badass, dude. Um, um, now, since then, you've kind of gone to playing on enduro bikes, racing enduro. Do you yeah, chill um, chill down on racing, or are you still kind of nah, want to oh, do some stuff? So I had a, like a really bad knee injury. Um, my okay. right knee, I uh, popped the ACL, PCL, and the LCL, and I also like damaged the lateral collateral nerve. This all this, all in one fall. Yeah, and okay. this is when I was actually down in Houston visiting um, family down there, and yeah, it was that was a burly injury. Um, definitely worst pain I've had. Like just two months like straight bedridden after the injury, like on just a bunch of pain meds, trying to fall asleep basically. Um, so they did surgery. They did surgery. Kind of rebuilt the whole thing. Yeah, well, they did a new ACL and the LCL, um, no PCL on that knee still. Um, but, like, the, the tough part about that was um, the lateral collateral damage nerve. Like, I had drop foot for a year. Oh. So it was, like, picture your foot just, like, dangling. Like, you like know. If it, like, when it falls asleep? Kind yeah, of, kind of like, feel totally. when it's hitting the ground? Yeah, so it was, like, a full year of, like, walking around with a limp. You know, it was like I had to like lift my right like hip like way up into the air to not trip over my own foot, you know, because I couldn't lift it up. Oh man! So yeah, that was that was super scary because there really was no yeah. explanation or you know if it would actually come back or not or oh. you know it was just kind of you know nerve damage is kind of weird. It's yeah. slow healing and unpredictable. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, it eventually came back and you know I was just riding mountain bikes i could i could still ride if i clipped in because you know that would turn my foot up and over the top so yeah just clip um, it in yeah so that was like 2009 
think. So yeah, not too long ago. Huh? Yeah, not that long ago. And then um, actually, I had I met uh, actually met David Turner and uh, another fr- friend of mine, LJ, that worked for Turner, and we had gotten to ride together, and um, we had hung out and talked about bikes and stuff. So kind of got on a bike program with those guys. Is this down in Houston? No, this oh, is up here. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I would, you know, kind of bounce back to Houston in the winter sometimes and stay yeah. with family and stuff. And then um, he just, he called me out of the blue one year and said, hey, there's this thing happening called Enduro. <laughs> and which I'm sure everybody's going to laugh because we were like years behind here in the U.S., right? But <laughs> I think this was like 2010 or 11. He's like, there's this thing happening called Enduro. And, you know, right now the the best series going on is this Oregon Super D series because they didn't even start calling it Enduro it's yet. still called Super D. <laughs> yeah. Sick. And he's like, we're looking for someone to race it. You know, we just want to, you know, set someone up in a van with some demo bikes and, you know, send them out there to race it. And we've kind of been talking about it and your name came up. We think you could be really good at it. Sick. So, you know, I was like, Again, just completely blown away. I was like, <laughs> "Sign me up!" Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, super cool phone call. <laughs> you know, totally floored. That's what everybody wants, man. Yeah. So of course, I was just like, "Yeah, I'll do it." <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was just like I didn't really know what enduro super D was, yeah. but you know, as you know, from what they described, it just sounded like fun you know just long downhills really and, up your uh, yeah so man i went out i think it was like i think my first race was ashland and i went out to ashland and um basically just didn't get enough practice i kind of underestimated you know how much practice you need to try to memorize a 10 mile yeah. course you know a really right, right. long course right and so i just i realized how how outgunned I was by locals that knew the trails over there, yeah. just people in Oregon. Great. So I was actually, I was actually pretty mad because like one of the things that made my time bad was like some kind of kind of questionable course marking. They just oh, didn't right. have a turn marked very well. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> so I lost a lot of time there. And uh, yeah, I remember just being so mad or frustrated that I packed everything into the van. I drove to Bend because that was where the next race was and was like i'm gonna go practice the next course because these guys already you know (laughs) they already know everything and that yeah so that kind of started off the whole enduro thing dude you've just been doing it ever since or what's uh so what have you done since then i mean you do other series you've done do you Um, do do um do you like try to do a series or just hit whatever you can hit? I mean, so when I was racing for just Turner, we were I was doing the Oregon series, um, turned to Oregon Enduro series, um, Downeyville and uh, Whistler Crankworks. Okay. So like I think that was like one of the first years that they did um, an Enduro for Crankworks. Um, was back then, and after that. Um, I'd see, I met Krista, and we ended up putting a team together, and nice. we were racing um, Big Mountain Enduro then because Perfect. that series, you know, was a lot um, starting to develop. It Just was developed. It was bigger than you know the Oregon stuff. Nice. It was closer to us. It had right. more media coverage, uh, more prize money. It was just a better series all the way around. Yeah. 
So, exactly. so then I started, you know, doing the, the <clears throat> big mountain enduro series, and um, let's see, we also did like enduro world series when the oh, nice. the stop here in the U.S. and then the stop in Whistler. Perfect. So yeah, perfect. Yeah. I heard. Uh, I hear, I've never been to Whistler, but I hear that stuff's pretty pretty rad. It's it? you should check it out. Uh, <laughs> wait, what's it's your uh, what's the gnarliest? stuff you've rode like in, in all the series what, what would you think is the most challenging mountain or they all got their challenging parts that's all man that's that's a tough one it's <laughs> a tough one you don't have to answer it it's all um, <laughs> Whistler they ride you know a lot of stuff that's off the mountain I, I I don't like when they go to bike parts and they race like the jump lines oh because yeah. <laughs> a lot of time the jump lines are like green or blue lines right or, I mean even if it's like a blue line like you know they're they're fun, but they're fun when you're just riding with your friends and right. flowing and popping off of stuff. Yeah. But when you're racing it, you're like sprinting at everything, trying to scrub, scrub over jumping, everything. stay low, exactly, <laughs> and you're over jumping a lot of stuff. Yeah, because you're trying to do it, you know, just for speed. So it kind of takes the fun out of right. it for me. Uh, Funny, but yeah, definitely, definitely Whistler is the top of the list, and then probably one of my favorite. Well, let's just say bike park in the U.S. would be um, Angel Fire because a lot Sick. of that stuff is just so raw yeah. and not smoothed out. <clears throat> Sick, man. Yeah. Um, you got any plans for racing going forward or just um, whatever you can do? You know, since I started the business, it kind of took up a lot of my time. Perfect. So there's really not enough time to train to be competitive enduro anymore. Yeah. Um, especially it seems like a lot of the enduros now, they've kind of went more towards just trying to make it like as long as possible so you're looking at like <laughs> a six to eight hour day on the bike yeah. so you, you know you're looking at you basically have to train like a cross-country racer pretty much and yeah. still have you know the fitness so you know kind of taking a step back from that and then just kind of doing some of the local downhill races still perfect yeah yeah hopefully see some more see some stuff come out of purgatory i think it'd be cool yeah see some more races up there yeah but um that'd be great uh, what you said earlier about your shop taking up time, that's perfect uh, segue into talking about how your, uh, how'd your company come to, how, how was that born? How was Dia Suspension born? How was, uh, why, why suspension? What, what happened? You just weren't happy with the way your bike rode and you're just always trying to make it ride better? Or is that kind of what Yeah, you? that was, <laughs> you know, that was a big part of it. Um, you know, trying to make the bikes work better because I really wasn't happy with, you know, this stuff on the market. Nice. And, um, it was also born out of necessity for a job. <laughs> That's so cool, dude. Um, you know, one of the one of the uh, fall that I, the, one of the seasons that I got back home from racing with Turner, you know, I was trying to get a job in town, and uh, no one would hire me because you know it was the off season for right. you know for bikes, and uh, you just get slow. Huh? I was a bike mechanic. You know, I started wrenching on bikes in a shop when I was 15, so that was kind of like, you know, all I really knew. Perfect. And um, so I ended up uh, welding for Ron at King Cage, and I just bought a nitrogen tank and started taking shocks apart and trying to figure out, you know, how to rebuild them. Yeah. Um, At the time, you know, Fox didn't have any kind of uh, manuals or they didn't sell parts for the rear shocks. So I was kind of just dissecting shocks and backwards engineering them, having to figure out, you know, what makes an O-ring work, you know, O-ring gland designs to kind of, you know, figure out 
which O-rings to buy from the industrial side of things. Okay. okay. So, so yeah, it was just I, you know, started rebuilding Fox shocks, you know, before it, most people could, right? Because yeah. at the time it was like you had to send a, if you had a problem with your Fox <laughs> shock, it had to go back to Fox, exactly. and they could be a month out sometimes. Right. So I saw like that niche that needed to be yeah. filled, especially here, man. Time, yeah. So that's kind of how it started. Um, Dude, that's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, what would you? Uh, so what do you guys special specialize in? What, what's uh, just do anything, everything, forks, uh, coils, all, all every, we anything suspension. Probably specialize most in you know custom valving and tuning, and then okay. custom spring rates as well. So um, I've been concentrating a lot on spring rates, like back when I was you know racing. Um, for Turner, uh, I just wasn't happy with any of the forks and how they felt, so I ended up actually making a custom coil spring that fit inside a Revelation at the time, and oh, that wow. so I had like a custom coil and like a 150 or 155 travel Revelation. Ew. Yeah, so that was Revelation. That was like a cross country fork, isn't it? No, they were like I think they were like 140 or something like stock. Okay. And that's yeah, a rock shot. Actually, I actually held on to that spring because it took so long to get perfect. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't obviously a coil spring that would fit inside of a Revelation because they didn't make one. So I think I found that spring, I believe it was out of a boxer. What's this rubber stuff on it? Uh, just like a little spring isolator to keep it from rattling around. Okay. So the cool. thing is, anytime you cut down... Is to, that just like heat shrink? Yeah. It's good. So anytime you cut down a coil to make it shorter, it, it makes the spring rate go up quite a bit. Okay. So what you're looking at is, I basically sat there with a grinder for hours and ground down the coils until I got it to, to the exact feel that I was looking for. Because oh, okay. you know if you re reduce the diameter of the coil, it makes the spring softer. Right. So so yeah, that was kind of like my baseline. And then I was like, all right, how do I get an air fork to, to feel like that? When I was um, in Downeyville one year, you know, I was excited because I was getting a, a lyric from RockShox, and I thought that was going to be like... Solve you know, all the problems. Yeah, I thought it was going <laughs> to solve all the problems, and it was going to be amazing, but it actually felt like shit. <laughs> um, you know, the problem I had with that lyric and was like what I found ended up being the problem with air springs in general was like... I would run 55 PSI in it, and it would feel really nice and supple, yep. but then it would dive in corners, and it would bottom out too easily, so it was like I couldn't really corner on it, you know, because it wasn't staying high enough when you're really, you know, getting after it. And were you trying to compensate that with the compression, the dampening side, or not I, really? They didn't really have dampening adjustment They then? They did, but then, you know, when you would add damping to it, it would just make it even, like, harsher Stupid, and chattery, uh, you know, so... So as you like played with air pressures, you know, I was, I want to say like 55 PSI felt good and, but I was having to run like 70 or 75 PSI so that it wouldn't dive when you were cornering and it wouldn't bottom out so easily. And then I couldn't hold the corner because it was so stiff initially. Right. Yeah. So it was like yeah. trying to figure out how to how to bridge those two pressures, which... And then you're trying you know, to put tokens in at that, trying to yeah. figure out how many spacers you need. Yep, exactly. So, you know, I, I, I tried that fork, and then, you know, it, 
obviously it didn't work very well so i went back to the coil revelation that i had sick because um, that was way better yeah i remember i remember a really bad crash in downeyville and i didn't know what happened and it was because the fork basically just deflected like midway <laughs> in a corner because i was running you know 75 psi in it that was the lyric yeah that was okay. the lyric and so like after that i you know took it off and put the the coil revelation back on <laughs> Dude. And that that that's probably one of my pet peeves too is like when you get a lot of deflection off rocks it just makes me not want to ride my bike exactly. like, oh, this is miserable yeah so, um so, so you were just trying to find that supple feeling huh yeah so then when i got back home i was trying to figure out all right how do we you know make this coil work you know at the or make an air spring work and I had remembered like way back when, like when the 32 mil boxer was out, like we were just jamming like basically like elastomers or like kind of gluing stuff inside of the air <laughs> chamber to like, you know, take, take up, up volume. <laughs> and, you know, never, never really knew like, you know, how much, you know, to put in there or what was, what was enough or what wasn't enough, you just know, trying to write it. <laughs> yeah. It was just kind of, you know, just super experimental. So I was like, all right, there's, you know, there's something to that. I need to figure out, you know, what's the sweet spot for, you know, tokens now, if you would, or whatever you're going to glue in there. Yeah. And, uh, so I actually <laughs> built that, um, which is kind of like a giant lever arm okay and uh you can kind of get a feel with it so there's a like a piece of all thread that i can put in there and i can run a fork or a shock to full compression and take readings Super. off of your uh, oh pressure gauge off your pressure gauge your, what you put air your while you're keeping track of yeah exactly how okay. much travel is like going through it's basically the same exact way like kind of like a shock whiz works right you know it's you know they're dialing your suspension just exactly. off of air pressure readings awesome so I set that up and I started, you know, making graphs to figure out what was actually happening inside the fork, you know, with Sick. different air volumes, you know, and this is before tokens were yeah, available, yeah. right? You're so, still just putting shit in there. And like, you know, the first graph I saw, it was just like, you know, it's the graph that people see with like zero or no tokens. I'm like, oh, no, that's exactly what it feels like when you're riding. It's super wallowy and unsupportive. <laughs> it blows through all the travel, <laughs> you know, I'm like. I'm like, how do we get it to look, you know, more like, you know, more like a, a coil rate, you know? Yeah. Um, so I started, you know, throwing volume adjusters in there or, you know, whatever I could find. And then, you know, eventually you just get to a point where it spikes too much. Right. right? So then I, I don't even remember how I came up with the idea. I was like, well, what if we have an extra air chamber in there and we just, you know, put air in it. To just support yeah would that would that you know would that air chamber be able to like kind of blow off or compensate a little bit when it's deeper in the stroke to like reduce that spike yeah and you know i asked like a few people that like were kind of like you know smart engineer type people <laughs> and they're like no nah, you know it'll just like it'll probably move but then you know the pressures will be the same it won't actually do anything you know so like it was it was funny because like a lot of people were skeptical and didn't think it would actually work. So then you know that's where we did this little piece right there. Yep. And uh, so that first piece to to test the concept, it was funny because I actually started the fork at 55 psi and I think I put 150 in there, and then when I graphed it, it like it basically bridged the 55 psi and 
70 or 75 psi for that like mid and ending stroke and it was like i just just like as the first like test throwing something in there it came up with like the two pressures that i was bouncing back and forth between in the lyric when i was in donnyville so yeah i was like oh shit like i think it actually is gonna work (laughs) you know like i remember that's what i was trying to do yeah um, so yeah, the next day, and this was like in the dead of winter, the next day I hopped in the car and just started driving south <laughs> for somewhere to ride that was dry and ended up down in Albuquerque, um, some trails that are a little west of Albuquerque and like the first descent, I was like, that's it. Like it yeah. felt great. <laughs> so that's kind of uh, how it started. So this is your, what, just to fill people in on, this is, this is what you call the run. Yep. And what it, what do you call it? What what would you call it? How would, it's technical term. How would I describe it? Uh, yeah, um, it's basically a whole other air chamber that goes inside of your air chamber that you can okay. pressurize um, more than the normal pressure you run in there. So it basically uh, makes your fork like a triple air chamber, if you would, because okay. you know if you take into consideration the the negative air chamber, yep. right? So you negative and two positives. That's kind cool. of what we have here. Okay, um, so uh, just for an example, what's your weight roughly? Probably like 150 about. 150? And what would you normally run in a fork? Um, depending on the, the fork, I'd say anywhere from 65 to 70 PSI, like in the okay. normal chamber. And then in the runt, we usually double that. So okay. 70 and 140. So, so a lot stiffer. Yeah, and that's... I mean, that's good for, you know, full-on downhill racing at Angel Fire, Perfect. like on a 160 or 170 fork. Like, it'll, mm-hmm. it'll handle everything. So what would people expect out of this? What, 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 what's their bike going to do differently? Like, it's, in your opinion, what, what's... It's way more supple, okay. um, yet supportive. Supports throughout the whole travel. Exactly, yeah. So it reduces the mid-stroke wallow so that you have good support when you're cornering good support when you're going down steep trails because you know naturally a little bit of your weight tra- transfers to the front yeah and then you know great bottoming resistance too um you can tune the bottoming resistance by adjusting the high pressure chamber okay. so it's got um the industry we call like ramp control which yeah. is really just bottoming resistance yep. but it, it does it better so that's kind of that's that's in there too that's worked into there yeah i've um, seen some companies uh try to put foam little foam have you seen those? I've like seen the, the foam things. things. Um, yeah, it seems like you know a good idea. Uh, I guess I'm kind of skeptical because for that to give you the same spring rate across the board or for different weights or air pressures, you would need a different foam density yeah. for every weight rider, right? Yeah. So like someone that's light would need a lighter foam density than someone that's bigger. Did you, uh, did you ever experiment with putting a little spring in there instead of uh, air? Um, you know, I actually kind of wrote that into the patent design, but oh, okay, it, cool. it just was Works easier. Good. It was easier to uh, to run air in it because you have to seal it off anyway to make it airtight. That's so true, it's yeah. like you might as That's well true. just pump air into it since it has to yeah. be airtight anyway. Uh, but yeah, that is thrown in there um, as as an option. Yeah. Um, just it just wouldn't be as adjustable, and then you have to make a bunch yeah. of different coil springs and different rates to fit in there. I want to try one then. Oh, I'm 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 always messing with suspension nonstop. Um, 
What, what do you make it for? What can it go in? Um, so right now we do Pike, Lyric, and Yari. Uh, I guess the newest revelation, the 35 mil revelation, and then uh, 36 for Fox. Okay. So just the newer 36 with the NA2 air spring in it, or the Evol air spring, does it fit? Not the older ones. Okay. Yeah. Will you do one for a 34? Um, we actually have had quite a bit of requests. Um, nice. We do have a prototype and drawings made for it, so um, that'll probably happen on the next batch. Yeah. It's pretty popular for it. Man, that's so sick. I love that. I'm, I'm pretty, uh, wait, is there anything else like it that you know of? Or, um, so or yeah. are there, are there, aren't they trying to make forks with this built in it as you buy it? Yep. Or it's, am I, so I think I've heard of that. Owns okay. has one in their forks. It's pretty much built into the air forks. Okay. And it's, it's kind of funny cause like their first, um, year or two, like they didn't even like publish really like the correct <laughs> air pressures. Oh, so, so people didn't know what to put in it. Well, no, they, they did, but. The air pressure was so low in the high chamber, if you would, that they weren't really taking advantage of, you know, yeah. what they had. They didn't really know what they had, maybe. Okay. Um, so like, and then, so you, if you look at like what they used to say to run in their forks compared to now, they, they pretty much ask for that two to one ratio that we run in our system. Nice. So yeah, there's theirs. And then um, Manitou has their, um, what is it? I think it's the infinite rate. Is that pretty new? It's it's basically the same same exact idea or concept, but their floating piston sits on a rod. Okay. Um, so yeah, so nice. either Manitou or Olms. Um, yeah, and then there's you know another company out of Germany that's making something pretty close to pretty it. Similar. Yeah. Did you get this from any other industry, Moto, or just kind of came just how you said you came up with it, just tinkering yeah. around in your shop? Yeah, that was that, yeah, that was it. I asked. I, I grew up racing ATVs, and oh, uh, nice. on my quad I had a Fox Fox Air. They were in my front suspension. They were Air, air yeah Air shocks. Nice. And it, they had that. Oh uh, really? An air chamber for that's for cool. Just that. You had to put like double the pressure in it. Did so it yeah. work? Oh dude, they work sick. Yeah. Oh nice. It's the only way to roll. Most yeah, people who race quads run run those. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that was out there. Yeah, dude. Nice. You have to check them out. It's pretty oh, sick. Um, that's cool, man. You, yeah. Is this on dirt bikes? Is it something that you think can go into the moto world, or you're not sure yet? Because um, there's Air Force yeah, now in the I moto think, world. You know, right? we could we could make one that would fit the uh, the WP. You think moto? What's what's the Air Fork? The what's the, what's the Air Fork? Well, I wouldn't know the names. I but can't remember. That's KTM the, Husky KTM. Yeah, whatever the newest WP. Um, fork is and honda had an air fork too for a while didn't they a couple of companies have done it and yeah they've kind of already gone back to coils do you think there's yeah. a need for it you think it'll make a dirt bike ride better or? i think you know that system with a run and it would actually make it super adaptable especially for here like you would yeah. be able to adjust the spring rate so much you could go ride in the mountains and then you know just by pumping air into your high chamber you could you know or the low you could be down in the desert you know where you need more bottoming resistance yeah yeah so yeah i think it'd be sweet for um motos yeah, yeah. i like your moto right there it's yeah. yamaha is that a 250 yep 250f 250 yeah. it's cool man do you uh ride that quite a bit or no um yeah it took kind of almost like the past two years off of like doing a lot of mountain biking and was just doing a lot of moto riding nice. just because it was new and i think i was probably a little burnt out on mountain bikes <laughs> and uh you know needed a break i was 
working a lot in the shop so like fitness was never that great yeah. so it was like you get on your mountain bike and <laughs> i don't know it sucks if you're not fit because <laughs> you think of like you know when you used to be fit and it's just yeah. kind of you know takes the fun out of it so yeah. do you go yeah. down to aztec and ride yeah yeah, uh, yeah. just go rip some sand washes and stuff Aztec's fun. I uh, actually probably prefer Pinion Mesa down there. Okay, cool. Just a little more single tracky. Perfect. It's got a little bit of everything. The desert side. It's got the the plateau side or the mesa. That's uh, yeah. It just feels a lot more like riding mountain bikes on single track. I'd say. Dude, that's cool. With a couple little techie sections here and there. So it's a good mixture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's sick, man. Uh, well, I got you here. Are you in a hurry? Do you need to do anything? Or you... Okay. Yeah, good. Um. I was going to pick your brain a little bit and try to help out some of our listeners mm-hmm. about uh, just like real quick, if you just went and bought a full suspension mountain bike, take someone who has no idea what to do, nothing about suspension, how would you recommend they, what, what would you, what's the first thing you'd recommend? Like, how would you set it up? How would, how would you set it up where you can, I don't know, I just feel like there's a lot of people out there riding really good bikes but they're not getting near what it's supposed to be because maybe sure. someone just set their sag. So what, what is, what do you think is more important? The compression side of things, which most suspension is not going to come with a compression adjust, I guess, unless you've got the big knob that turns, right. you know, the three steps. But yeah, I as, don't as far as that goes, you know, what I try to tell people is to dial in the spring rate first before you start trying to add compression damping. So sag first thing yeah. is sag. First thing is sag and you know, the sag range can vary quite a bit. So the way I usually set up sag here, it's not the way most people do in the industry is I usually just have people sit on the seat. Okay. Because, you know, when you're standing in your attack position, you can be loading the front, you know, more or less, you know, it's not gonna be that consistent all the time. Right. So like, I just want it to be consistent every time, you know, and you go from there. So, you know, typically like customer comes in, I'll set up, you know, 25 to 30% sag on the rear end, depending on, you know, how they're riding and what they're looking for. Would uh, the type of suspension design matter? Not too much. Um, you know, in the, in the past it would have mattered more, but I feel like a lot of the companies are getting pretty set as far as like leverage ratios. In the manufacturer, they'll usually both, most bike manufacturers will tell you either go 25 or go 30, right? Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, before, like, you know, I feel like the leverage ratios were kind of all over the place. Like, okay. I don't know, like some of like the early Yetis, like the 575, that thing was like super stiff and then would blow the travel and bottom out. <laughs> so that was like really hard to set up. Um, so yeah, there was, it seems like, you know, it's just like any industry, it always ends up shaking down to whatever works the best, right? So if you look at the industry, you can see all the leverage ratios kind of like coming in on that one ratio, which I'm gonna say like, ballpark like maybe 2.75 to 1 or so somewhere in that range it's kind of like where everybody's settling in at i'm not in my head but i don't i have no idea yeah (laughs) i'm not i don't know too much about that leverage ratio uh so yeah so so typically you know i'll do i'll do sag seated and then i usually just you know kind of push on the fork on the rear end to kind of match the fork to the rear end because you know i want it to be you know, equally stiff, if not maybe just a little bit stiffer on the fork, just to keep okay. the front end from diving when okay. you're cornering or riding hard. Perfect. Um, Perfect. I think that kind of ends up being like 
maybe 15% to 10% sag on the fork while you're sitting on the seat. And I know people are like, oh, that's really stiff, but keep in mind that's why you're sitting on the seat. Exactly, You know, know, I just do that to make it consistent every time. If you were in attack position, it would go up maybe 5%. Yeah, Yeah, it'd probably be closer to that, like, 25, 20% mark or so, depending on where you're running. Cool. So, uh, sag, and then... Would you recommend just running compression all the way open I, on I would, any setting or go halfway? I would start all if, the way if open. If you have one that does adjust. Like yeah, that. I would start all the way open. What I usually tell people is to try to dial in your suspension with the compression all the way open. Okay. And if you're you know, going through different like air pressures and one's too stiff and one's too soft, and you're not trying to like split hairs on your gauge, go with the softer air pressure and then just slowly dial in a little bit of compression damping to kind of bridge the gap. Till you find that support you're looking for. Exactly, yeah. Okay. And then, um, so I, for, for the most part, I would say the most important thing is spring rate and then rebound. Cool, because yeah. th- th- this is where I, I'll have to agree with you on that. This is where I'm picky is rebound. I'm, and it depends on where I'm riding. Like if I go ride in Moab, my rebound's a little different if I go ride like yeah. around Astic because there's nothing like crazy like I'm not going to be hitting hard in Astic I guess and right sometimes I ride flat pedals and I like it a little slower sometimes I ride clipless and I like it a little bit more bouncier I guess rebound a little quicker so I can right pop over stuff but yeah I'm nice. not I'm not as playful when I'm on flats I just more like smash into stuff <laughs> nice <laughs> I guess I'm lazy on flats I don't know <laughs> anyway okay so rebound all the way open rabbit is gonna rebound fast right fast is that a good setup or no um no i mean it's this is where it gets kind of tough because it depends on your body weight so like you know let's say someone's super super light like you know 80 pounds 90 pounds you know maybe younger kid and you know they're probably gonna run the rebound all the way open because they're controlling that softer amount of air pressure, the softer air spring that they have in there, right? Yep. So that's, you know, their their rate of rebound is actually gonna be pretty reasonable. Now gotcha. let's take gotcha, yeah. a big guy that weighs 250 pounds. You know, if you had that rebound all the way open, you know, it's gonna feel like a pogo stick, right? Because <laughs> right. it's, you know, Coming. trying to control that much stiffer spring. So, you know, that, the bigger guy is gonna, you know, be, you know, probably pretty close to closed on any like stock fork. Okay. Um, the problem with that is a lot of people don't realize um, is that when you close the rebound all the way and pretty much all the forks, that it actually adds quite a bit of compression damping as well. Hmm. Um, and then people think, well, he's a bigger guy, so you need that compression damping for him, right? Um, but the truth is because the air springs aren't as supple when you have that much more air pressure that those bigger guys, they actually feel that compression damping and they have a hard time with it, you know, just because, you know, their fork is already not as supple because of the higher air pressure. Okay. Cool, and then if you're in the middle, just find it. Yeah, so uh, typically, you know, what I tell people is to, um, well, before we go there, so that's, you know, that's the importance of getting your fork revalved. 
Okay. Is, for instance, you know, if there's a bigger guy and he has his rebound all the way closed and it's making it pretty harsh because it's having to push all the fluid through the mid-valve compression stack, uh-huh. then we can go in there and add more rebound shims to it. And gotcha. let's say we can get him to back that off, you know, four or five clicks. That actually makes a pretty big difference in the suppleness because when you back that open, uh, that port that opens up allows fluid to go through on the compression stroke as well. Okay. So that's how it adds or lessens compression damping because that's kind of like a, a free flow port that you're opening. Nice. So fluid's going through there on the compression stroke as well as the rebound. Ooh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's super cool. Um, I feel like that's probably why a lot of people, I think in the moto world, they think that their fork's packing up, but it's yeah. really because they're adding the compression damping to it and it makes it feel really stiff versus it actually packing up. And it only does that when you're running your rebound relatively slow, or kind of. Yeah, because when you're, you know, when you're running it, you know, pretty slow at the clicker, you know, the yeah. on the compression stroke, there's nowhere for that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, fluid to go other than through the mid valve compression stack. That's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we need to see a Diaz fork. <laughs> Working on one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you, well, you just want to you want to see how that what I just explained actually works. Yeah, yeah, that'll be cool. So this is pretty basic, um, just like the cheaper damper out of like a lyric. Okay. Or I'm sorry, a yari. And this is, you know, the basic design of like all the dampers and mid valves, um, even like on the cartridge fork, so pretty much the same thing. But, you know, in the in the middle here is a port that you open and close, okay. right? There's a needle that basically plugs that port from the inside, and that's how you adjust your rebound damping. Um, you know, faster, it opens up the port and more fluid can go through the middle rather than having to push open those shims the shims right okay yep so when you close that all the way you know you're you're completely closing that port and all the fluid is pushing on the shim stack right Mm. so on the compression stroke there's a compression shim stack over here on this side and a mid valve spring or check spring depending on what you want to call it and so even that right there, it turns out, is a pretty stiff spring. So if you have your rebound cranked all the way down, the fluid can't go through that center port on the compression stroke, right? It has yep. to push everything through that compression shim and spring. Okay. And you'll be really surprised how much just the spring rate um, affects that. Okay. Harshness, and you tend to feel that on um, square-edged rocks and roots. Yep. Especially if it's wet, like you'll get more deflection. You'll have a much harder time riding roots. So you think for just a rule of thumb, don't run your rebound all the way slow. Yeah, I would or say not all the way slow. You know, kind of, kind of a rule of thumb I go by is like, you know, if you're a bigger dude and you have to run your rebound like more than three clicks from like, you know, all the way closed. Yep that you're, you know, you're adding quite a bit of harshness to it mm-hmm. and you could use a revalve to, you know, get that backed up a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and that'll, that'll just help with the compression side as well. On 
On some of the forks, like the pikes, I've actually manufactured custom mid-dolph springs okay. to help soften that. And then we have softer shims that go on those too. Perfect. So those are like for the charger dampers. Do they just do you just order the shim from from RockShock or do they just get them? No, they don't. Pretty universal. Um, custom made stuff. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking they just send you a shim stack. No, no. I mean they they don't make anything that's soft enough. Okay. So like you know we had to make these custom springs too for the mid valve. Oh, um, nice. So I mean that's the stock one versus that being the custom one. And oh, nice. That alone makes a, a huge difference on fork deflection. Um, I, you know, to give you an idea, it's, it's pretty interesting because the bike industry is actually running pretty stiff mid-valve springs across the board. So these are mid-valve springs out of a moto. Okay. And um, they're pretty soft, huh? Yeah, they're super soft. So Whoa. yeah, it's you know it's interesting that the moto industry has way softer mid valve springs than the bike industry. That is very weird. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's cool. Wow, that is super stiff. Now that you start to look at it. Yeah. So a lot of people, you know, a lot of people don't believe me when I tell them how big of a difference that makes. But you know, especially if you're like on a pike, I'll just turn the rebound all the way in, and even if you just like that just that initial push you would swear that you almost have the lockout on and then so people will then say well well you just pushed it down and it stayed down then you push it again no i'm talking about like just the initial like you know yeah. like sure. push on it uh, yeah it makes you know that that big of a difference where does that little spring go um so okay. that would be right here that would you know if it was the Oh, okay. The other, different, different you know, the other damper. Yeah, it would be right there. Okay. So yeah, you can, you know, you can move that one, and that that one's pretty, pretty damn stiff itself. Man, that's super cool. It's very interesting. I feel like it'd be beneficial to just replace that, like. Oh, absolutely. If you're, if, you know what I mean. <laughs> if you're anyone really across the board, I would say anything over so, 180. So maybe. it's interesting because um, you know Fox has a pretty stiff mid valve spring stock. Um, but you know, we've had a couple of their forks come through here from some of their like factory or sponsored riders that got sold to other people yeah. and they replaced the mid valve spring with something that's that soft out of the moto that I just showed you. Why, so, why do you think they put such stiff out of the factory? What, what do you think the purpose is? That? I think to help the support to keep the fork from diving, okay. but it does, in my opinion, it makes it, you know, pretty harsh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you can tune the mid valve to get support out of it. The problem is, um, it it makes the fork a little bit harsh and rocks and roots square edge hits. That's pretty cool. Have you seen that new? Um, I was going to ask you what your thoughts were on that new trust fork where they put the uh, kind of linkage in the front of the bike. Have you seen that? It seems pretty cool. I I, I kind of wonder. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to like ride one to, to see. I mean, it's it's a good idea. Um, I'd be curious to you know to see how it how it rides. Yeah. It seems like you know the the biggest thing is like you know keeping it from diving, but then they're also you know able to adjust the trail throughout the stroke of the fork. So huh. yeah, I don't know. Could be cool. Trail <laughs> is the it's actually coming back and forth or the contact at which your tires uh, touching the ground. Trail's kind of, kind of a tough one to describe. It's um, 
if you were to draw a line straight through your axle and mark on the ground and then draw a line through your steer tube of the fork and mark that on the ground and then took the measurement between the two that would be your your trail oh, okay crazy man yeah so there's a lot of different ways to manipulate the trail of a, of a bike <laughs> which is also very closely associated with head angles yeah and then the offset, which is like all the craze right now, is like the short offset forks. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, is that because of the long top tube, short short stands? Is that, or what's, what's the you benefits know, I, going? I can't completely say much about it yet because I haven't been able to ride them because I got injured okay. this year. So I haven't, I've been off the bike for, for quite a while. And so zero I, offset is basically like your top, uh, what do you call it? Like the crown or the, the sanction tubes. The crown, it's just like, straight like yeah it would be straight, straight across your... but you know the other thing you have to take into account is the offset of the axle on the bottom too okay so if you're really doing a true measurement you know it's going to be you're going to be measuring the offset of the triple clamps or the crown as well as the axle that's you know displaced okay. a little bit forward uh, so there's two different things that can affect that so they're going zero what would be a traditional well, so that's like, the like they're not really they're not really going zero because the axle's still in front, but they're you know they're they're lessening it. Um, so is it maybe like five? I think ten? I want to say like thirty-seven now is short oh, okay. offset, and okay. maybe like forty-four for like two niners, something like that. Which um, I mean, the moto industry's been doing that for years, right? Okay. Um, yeah. I, I mean, so far, like in, in my opinion, like changing the offset is really just like changing the head tube angle. Right. I feel like I feel like a lot of people like it because they think they're like on a 65 degree head angle bike okay. but then you shorten up the offset and it's probably like closer to like a 64 degree head angle Sick. so it's like they're not as scared of like the giant like uh, <laughs> or the super slack geometry because like the offset of the fork is like you know nice. that's a good way to put it, it. I kind of think is yeah <laughs> it might be a little of what's going on there oh cool man um, well right on man We've been rapping for a while. I think that's pretty cool. I really, really enjoyed it. Is there anything else you want to add? Not that I can think of. I mean, yeah, there's bunches of different rabbit holes we could go down. We could <laughs> stay here for hours. Awesome, man. Well, I, I like your, uh, I like your shop. I think it's really badass. And Thanks. How can people find you? How, how what's um, the best way to get one of these products? DSSuspensionDesign.com. Or you can give us a call here in the shop. It's 970-749-3529. Perfect. Yeah, or just stop in your location? Yeah, they can stop by. We're open 11 to 6, Monday through Friday. Okay. Perfect, man. Located at Durango Cyclery? We're basically right below Durango Cyclery. Right yeah, in Durango. So, Sick, man. Yeah, come and see us. <laughs> right on, dude. That was badass. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> Appreciate it.